0: I just really like the future in which UX research is talked about. It's considered to be valuable. It's uh, created opportunities within companies for, you know, people who are studying in various different fields to actually
1: get out in the industry.
2: Welcome to Beyond Aesthetics, a podcast about art and design from the Fountain Institute.
1: In this podcast, we explore how designers can go beyond aesthetics.
2: Jeff, what's Beyond Aesthetics?
1: Mm, it's not pixels, I'll tell you that much.
2: We're really excited because today we have uh, UX researcher mal Baker, with us today. Uh, he is based in Berlin. He is now doing consulting work um, about helping companies do UX research, but also how can they incorporate more practices into their company. Um, and we're going to we talked to him today about his career path, how he got into the field, uh, the different areas that he was doing beforehand and how those helped him. Um, We also talked to him about what it's like to be a a UX researcher in-house in companies such as SoundCloud and Blinkist. um, And that then thinking about what are the great qualities that he sees um, in UX researchers today?
1: Yeah, yeah. He's definitely done a lot of things in his career, um, and he's got a really interesting take on what makes you know being a good researcher and how to do effective UX research.
2: And then we end with uh, thinking about what is the future of UX research and how he wishes uh, to see the field.
1: I got to say, I fell in love with UX research all over again after listening to to him talk. So definitely listen to it.
2: Um, So uh, before we get started, we also just want to do a little disclaimer. Um, We were having some technical difficulties with the recording. Um, It was worth it to us to. Include this podcast, even through the difficulties of the technical aspect. Um, so, with no further ado, we'll get get started. Uh, we're here to talk about a little bit more about you and your career path and uh, how you became a UX researcher consultant. Is that what you would title yourself as? Yeah.
0: So, so I would I would call myself um, a consultant coach, mentor, educator, but that doesn't fit on one line, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm sticking with consultant for the time being, yeah.
2: Could you tell us a little bit more about, like, your path to becoming a UX researcher consultant?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I I guess um, the first sort of, like, Couple of years of my UX research career was uh, exclusively working within product companies, within um, a team of uh, UX researchers, or uh, as a solo re- UX researcher for a little bit as well. And my path to even getting into UX research in the first place was was quite an interesting one. Um, I my first job out of university was selling air conditioners for my uh, father's company. Uh, grandfather's company, rather. And uh, let's just say I, my heart wasn't really in it. Um, just couldn't really get excited about selling air conditioners. Uh, so I, I took a, a couple of months to to figure out what it is that I actually wanted from a career and uh, got really excited about the creative and tech industries. And uh, after a short stint as an account manager in a digital agency, I got to be exposed to UX uh, from other colleagues and teammates that I'd work with regularly, and I I felt really good about it. So, um, retrained in UX design initially, and then just so happened to come across a UX research internship here in Berlin, um, working for SoundCloud, which was back in the summer of 2015. So yeah, that's the condensed version.
2: Yeah, I'm curious what... um... What, where did you do your training in the UX? Was it like, because this was after uh, university time for you?
0: Correct. Yeah. So so I um, did it in London. It was uh, like on-site part-time UX design program uh, with General Assembly. Uh, and that was back in 2014, maybe early 2015.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You said it was an internship at SoundCloud um, as a UX researcher. Was that like your actual first job as like in the UX field uh, in general?
0: Yes. Yes, it was. It was. um, uh, So prior to that, I had worked for some time in this digital agency. uh, So we were working with uh, quite a few interesting clients. But uh, when it comes to UX and and dedicating my, my day to day to that, My internship at SoundCloud was the first time I I really got, uh, you know, in the thick of it. And uh, that was uh, initially supposed to be just for six months. Uh, I was also only initially supposed to be in Berlin for six months. But lo and behold, that six months became around two and a half years at SoundCloud and a fully fledged career with um, close to six years in Berlin now.
2: So six months turned into six years. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's the that's the short version. <laughs> yeah. What, what,
1: was there something that was really surprising when you started your first day as a UX researcher, since it was kind of a new new thing for you?
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny that you ask that. Like, I, I, um, I you know, I was fresh out of this uh, general assembly course, uh, which you know taught us uh, quite a lot of the principles of um, UX research, but uh, because it was UX design in in terms of focus. Uh, that was more of a, like, you know, not, I wouldn't say like an afterthought, but it definitely didn't give me everything that I needed to feel confident in UX research. And I remember within my first hour of sitting with my manager uh, after getting like, you know, onboarded to the company and getting an office tour, uh, he was like, we're going to revamp our knowledge base for, you know, user research findings. Um, Do you have any ideas for what we could do? And I just sat there with like, like a deer in the headlights with absolutely no ideas. And um, I think uh, the imposter syndrome was uh, at like an all time high on that first day. So I'm, I'm happy to say that it, it, it kind of um, decreased from that point. And once I actually got actively involved with U, uh, UX research, like interviews as a note taker, observer, and eventually interviewer, I started to feel a little bit more at home.
2: Yeah, it's pretty intense as, like, a first hour on the job. Um, But I kind of like that approach in a way, too. Like, it feels like they're, like, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but there's some sort of, uh, like, putting or, like, giving you trust and or, like, your authority in a way, like, right off the Mm. bat, which is an interesting, I think, if it was an approach, it's an interesting approach to, like, a new hire intern.
0: Yeah, and I I really think that that is, uh, I think that that's a really, really good approach to, um, you know, bringing someone on board. So, um, I mean, from the onset, I was involved with some things that I didn't really feel that comfortable with, but it definitely put me in a sort of like stretch zone. Uh, and the fact that I was being given this, this, uh, trust, as you mentioned, and, um, they, they actually did want my input and my assistance. That was, that was really great. Um, and I learned so much on that job. Um, I think the first, like six months. Um, the the growth that I experienced in that time was uh, fantastic. So kudos to uh, Rob if he's listening to this episode. <laughs> I'm probably going to send him the link after this.
1: <laughs> so it, it sounds like with with that that growing, there might have been some mistakes that you made and we really like to have people talk about the mistakes. And was mm-hmm. there some mistakes you made early in your, your research career? Uh, yeah,
0: like all the time. Um, I think the... I like the, the mistake that I keep bringing up in, in this kind of context or, or when I'm um, speaking to people trying to get into UX is that I was really, really obsessed with the idea of coming up with a credible report. So something that was like all encompassing and had all of the information. And, um, you know, by, uh, you know, by unfortunate design, I would say the, the re- first report that I really put out there was around 40 pages long. And uh, let's just say that that obsession with credibility gone in the way of actually creating something actionable and readable and memorable for my stakeholders. So I I put in two months to make this amazing, in my eyes, report that was absolutely perfect. And then when when I brought it to the team, they were like, yeah, can you just give us the highlights, please? Uh, we're not going to read a fifty-page report. Uh, that was a really, that was a really good lesson, and uh, probably my the mistake that still uh, sneaks up on me in terms of uh, like you know the occasional dream or nightmare.
1: And if you could give advice to a UX researcher now, like how would you recommend that they present their research?
0: Yeah, I would recommend. Um, Uh, Like, I would recommend that you present your research in a way where people can get like the highlights and get the kind of key information at a glance. It doesn't mean it has to just be that, but make sure that there's a section in your research report for that. Um, I would also say, try to avoid creating really dense text-heavy reports because That's not what people are going to be attracted to reading and it's not exactly going to be very memorable at the end of the day. So I would recommend cutting down text as much as you can, um, making sure that you surface those like key findings and insights at a glance. And of course, um, let the user speak for themselves with um, all the quotes, videos, and any sort of like rich imagery that you can put in there that supports uh, any of the findings or um, sessions that you ran
2: yeah I think that um, especially like in the beginning of our career is when we're feeling a little less uh, confident in our abilities and or mm-hmm. what, like imposter syndrome that we might feel like we have to put so much in there to like prove that we know what we're doing or like there's also this feeling of making it feel like so precious and special you take so long to like do the best thing that you could do the best presentation or the best like work where it's like realizing i think later on that like it's more about getting it out there faster and getting feedback faster and and being able to like be um quick about things and and not feeling so precious about these reports but also about being able to communicate them and people can understand
0: yeah Absolutely. I mean, you touched on a really important part there. Actually, this this whole idea of getting a, a you know this report out two months later, even if I had structured the report in in a, you know a way that's more you know uh, insightful and easy to read for for stakeholders, if it comes after the the you know time window has passed and uh, you know past the point where they were actually making decisions based on those findings, then that's also not a great, uh, you know, outcome. So uh, definitely agree that you should know your audience and and know when they need the findings and what they need out of the report to, you know, make decisions and actually mm. benefit the end user, right? Because um, those changes are are for them at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I think that's really interesting what you said of like knowing what it is that, like, somebody, like, what is, like, what do they need out of it? Like, what are they looking for out of it? Because, first of all, who are they and what is it? But, like, you know, what you might find interesting might not be what is most helpful for the project or helpful for, like, what needs, like, questions that need to be answered. So I think it's really interesting. Um,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I make a habit of making sure that um, I don't try to create, like, a one-size-fit-all deliverable for everybody because, you know, what your, you know, C-level and VP kind of um, uh, level staff at your company might be looking for would be very different to what you might present in like a five to 10-minute demo in front of the entire company. So knowing your audience and um, tailoring your deliverables and presentations to them, uh, also super crucial.
2: Yeah, I think that's something that we also think about a lot with uh how do you communicate and how do you present or get people on board like at all stages of the i mean design process but for sure research process as well of like before when you're trying to get approval for it or after when you're trying to give people like what the findings are it's like you have to like speak with them not at them too um but i'm also curious so like uh we're talking a little bit more about like the details of like what happens before after and stuff like that. But I'm wondering if you could maybe like for people tell us what your experience has been like of being like somebody who specifically does research like in an in-house position, like what does that actually look like? Like what are you doing there?
0: Mm. That's a great question. Uh, So I think there is, there's a lot to do as a UX researcher, typically, especially if you're, um, I think in my mind the the when a company gets to the point that they need to hire a dedicated uX researcher, that means that they are um, either maintaining or building a product that's comp that's complex that has many different stakeholders, maybe the organizational size is quite large um, so I think on a day to day basis, you are kind of keeping track of all the different projects that are um in various different stages, whether they're at the very early stage or just a request, then you are also perhaps planning that, you know, that interview or scheduling that participant in for that uh, upcoming project. Uh, a lot of meetings, uh, of course, to understand stakeholder needs. And um, then, you know, uh, a, a day in the week or a month of a UX researcher is uh, really, really varied. and. Um, there's a lot of coordination project management um, presenting and communicating at the heart of it.
1: I'm curious a little bit about you know your background because it, it sounds like a lot of the things you're doing is like communication design or you know designing presentations. um how did you How did you get better at that? How did you learn how to do those things?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so One of the key learnings from my master's program uh, back in the day was learning how to receive and give feedback. And I think that that's super, super crucial to actually highlighting a sort of uh, let's say blind spots and areas that you can improve in. So one way that I got better was, uh, you know, receiving and soliciting feedback very often. Um, I would, uh, I was also told at some point to, you know, practice my presentations so that I know what I'm going to say and have like a script memorized and all that sort of stuff. But that actually didn't work for me. That worked against me because I was uh, trying to memorize that perfect way that I worded it in the script. So uh, I think also don't just listen to what other people tell you because what you might what might work for them won't work for you. Um, but getting feedback is, is certainly one way that I got better at it and um, yeah it's 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 really helpful if you're familiar with what you're presenting or talking about so um, I try to avoid presenting somebody else's work as well um not sure not sure how often that might happen but um, yeah that's that's those are kind of the the things that are top of mind for me
1: yeah, it's it's interesting when I'm when I'm asking about presentations like you're not talking about slide design, you're not talking about the mix of text and imagery. Um I hear you talking a lot about practice uh, and understanding the audience.
0: Yeah, I think it's um yeah, I think I think for me that's kind of the space that I feel most comfortable and confident in. I could I could show you some of my slides, and you might actually like, wait, you know, wince a little bit because my design skills are not really that great. But in terms of actually uh, talking to an audience and engaging with them, and doing a like a good mix of not just you know lecturing them, but also getting you know getting their input and getting them to be um, engaging with you, I think that that's like some of the core tenets of a successful presentation. Um, because you know especially now you know zoom fatigue is real and you know if you're if you're not like you know calling back to the people in the room and and getting their voices at you know junctures of your presentation then they're just going to zone out and start folding laundry
2: yeah for sure i mean you touched on two like big topics that i'm super passionate and interested in which is like feedback and facilitation um and i think I mean we weren't planning on going here but it's it's an interesting topic i think and and so i'm I'm curious so you said you didn't what it was the masters that you got that you said you were taught about so
0: it was uh so hyper island is a it's a swedish school but they have outfits in many different countries and parts of the world and they are like i guess uh, they provide courses for a wide range of like creative and tech related topics so um, back when I did my master's, it was called Digital Media Management, but I guess you could kind of think of it as like almost like a digital master's degree, um, where we talked a lot about uh, the different roles in uh, the digital and creative industries. Um, we talked about uh, various different topics like creative problem solving, um, data and insight. Uh, I think we also did... Uh, project management. So it was a really good overview of all of the different roles and accountabilities within uh, products, startups and agencies. Uh, but because it was, it was also, um, I think maybe the Nordic influence was uh, really seen in this whole like feedback and reflection and learning about the different um, ways to give and deliver feedback and reflect on what has gone past.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's not, I mean, in my opinion, it's not uh, kind of highlighted enough or taught enough in a variety, because I think it's super helpful in so many industries or so many um, real world situations. Um, And it's something that I feel like I was fortunate to understand um, and was taught um, in a fine arts practice. We just call it critique instead of feedback. Um, and so it's something that I we really encourage and talk to uh, like with designers at every level of like ways to get feedback at a like quicker rate or uh, not being so precious about it and not being attached to it um, and things like that. And and it goes so uh, hand in hand with facilitation because the way that you can facilitate feedback is actually what um, like the best way to move forward. And I think like collaborate with people uh, in, in a, uh, yeah, in a group.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I, I, I think, um, I think making that kind of natural, like, uh, you know, putting time aside as, as part of your design sprints or process, um, uh, also like working that into any sort of like, you know, manager and, and report kind of relationship and, and making sure that, you're, you're really um, you're putting like cadence and, and thought behind it. I think that's so um, so important. and um, I think on the other hand, uh, you know feedback is a gift, but they are crafted of people's perceptions and people might not have the right perception of an event or a moment. doesn't mean you have to defend yourself against something you don't agree with, but it also doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's feedback is going to be, that helpful or that accurate. Um, I think that was really helpful for me to understand as well.
1: It it really sounds like you've got a a lot of like generalist skills that you're bringing into UX research. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious like how that stuff from the past that you learned um, filters down into a a, a daily UX research practice because um, I think a lot of UX designers might see UX research as a specialization within UX design, but it sounds a bit like you're more of a journalist overall
0: yeah i mean it's um it's a really really great question and i i firmly believe that you're not starting from scratch or starting from zero when you decide to pursue a new career or a different career path or you know jump from being a ux designer to a ux researcher i i think that your experiences are so personal to you and they're so important in terms of like your own development that um yeah the some of the things that i learned on that air conditioning job uh, oh, how many years ago was it i don't even know but like the the things that i learned in my first job out of university that i honestly i hated it but some of the things i learned there are were are also still really useful like the the act of selling something act of like communicating and negotiating i think that that is something that i still uh hold really you know dear and valuable today so yeah i in terms of the whole like generalist versus um you know specialist debate um i think there's always room for people to bring in their past experiences to what they do on a day-to-day level for sure yeah i
2: mean absolutely like we are we've talked a lot on this podcast about like how the random past experiences you have will like lead you direction or not lead you but like have will support you in the direction and and kind of uh i like and we advocate for being especially when you're starting off at a younger or more junior level of like being okay with being a generalist and learning a variety of skills and not feeling like you need to jump into um, a specialization So we were just talking about uh, like the qualities of what a good researcher, um, UX researcher, are, and that they're actually pretty hard to define. And a lot of the qualities are uh, in communication skills, and facilitation skills, and organization, um, and. Uh, Within a lot of larger companies, you're maybe able to have a sole UX designer or UX researcher. Um, but it's something that we hear a lot from um, all different levels, junior, mid, senior, of, that they're wanting to add more research and more um, time into the discovery phase of their process and also trying to how they can um, can not convince, but get uh, the team members and the company on board. And so, we're wondering if you had any um, suggestion or advice for uh, designers out there who are trying to get more discovery phase into their process.
0: Yeah, and it's a it's a great question. And then, and I do um, I do think the way I thought about this a few years ago was um, in a very kind of like numbers game kind of way. So I was really thinking about like, okay, so how do we actually. Um, share what return and investment on user research looks like. Um, how can we actually get some numbers going? And 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 I think now my answer would essentially be uh, to treat it like a UX research exercise, where um, you know if your manager or, you know, the key decision-making maker there in terms of giving you um, research time or resources, you know, if they are not really, you know, uh, if they are resistant or if they're not really feeling uh, like it's a valuable thing, there's always a reason behind it. So I, I think the first and foremost thing I would do is really understand why there is this level of resistance or why there is this, um, hesitance towards it. Uh, you know, these, there can be numerous reasons. Maybe that person doesn't understand what user research is. Maybe that person, um, you know, had a bad experience with user research in the past, or maybe they think that they've already done it by sending out a survey to 30 people. So uh, I really would uh, recommend that you try to understand the, the core like issue and why that is and uh, come up with some kind of approach or solution based off of that. Um, I, I think that that's always a first good step. And uh, I mean, you know, if there is a situation where that person is fully resistant and Uh, says that there's absolutely no way and no time, then, you know, maybe it's time to do kind of proof of concept. So like, just run a sort of like, you know, low effort, low impact, low cost kind of uh, research study and research project and and present that back. Um, Because research is possible without budget, and only a little bit of time. It's just not going to be the best thing that you can do.
1: Yeah. I think like just getting a little bit of user research done a little bit in your process and letting the team feel, feel that like, I always think it's mm-hmm. good to, to bring in the other team members and non-designers into the interviews. Um, is that something you do in your practice or do you share it with them? Like, how do you, how do you get them kind of involved in that process? Yeah. So,
0: uh, even as a consultant, and 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 definitely as as part of my work as a full time researcher, um, getting participation and having people actively involved in the research process was so important, and it was um, actually. Uh, one of the few things that I had a really strong opinion about when I started um, my first, uh, let's say, week uh, or month as a UX researcher at Blinkist in my previous job, uh, my strong opinion was that the show doesn't, you know, show doesn't run without people actually being involved. So um, I think that that's uh, really, really advisable to make sure that um, people actually jump on those calls they observe um, interviews they actively debrief with you um, and I would argue that even the people that uh, say that oh you know we don't have enough time to do this uh, or oh uh, you know I, I, I don't really see what my role would be like just you know, direct them and, and, you know, keep telling them about like uh, opportunities where they can join sessions, spam Slack channels. If you have to, I've definitely done that in the past. Um, And yeah, just, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get allies and you're going to get promoters of user research. Once you get people in their room, that's for sure. And those are the people that you want in your organization.
1: That's that's a nice segue into some of the work that you're doing today, you know, where you're consulting with lots of different organizations, um, doing, you know, setting up a research practice, as well as doing some research yourself. Um, So can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so
0: I think the so the 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 seed of this idea was planted earlier this year. Oh, wait, it's 2021. Sorry. <laughs> it, it was planted earlier last year, I should say, um, in 2020, when there were these passion projects that I wanted to get off the ground. But, you know, in sort of like typical startup fashion or working in tech fashion, I just couldn't couldn't really put the time or the energy behind some of those things. So I think it just reached a point where I saw that I wanted to do these things. And I, I also, you know, on a, on a, maybe a selfish level, I wanted a little bit more variety in terms of like the problems and the clients and the um, products that I'd be working with. So I ended up leaving in, in summer of 2020 uh, and I didn't know how to like actually set myself up as a consultant beyond the admin side of things, like, you know, the tax side of things and, you know, updating my LinkedIn uh, headline and that kind of thing. But uh, I was fortunate enough to actually have a lot of people come to me. So like previous colleagues, um, people in my network uh, discover that I had gone into consulting and, and, us having a conversation and dialogue about how we could benefit each other. So yeah, it was, uh, I think, uh, I, I consider myself very lucky and fortunate uh, to have such a big network. And I guess my advice to anyone wanting to go freelance or, or wanting to be a consultant is be kind to the people who reach out to you because maybe you know, you'll be working with them in the future, or maybe they'll be talking about you to a a friend or another colleague that might need uh, UX research support. So just, you know, you can't help everybody. Don't make it like detrimental to your own mental health or the time that you have, but uh, certainly, you know, consider responding to somebody when they ask you a question on LinkedIn or send you an email. that's how I think uh, quite a lot of my work actually came about.
2: Yeah. So it's in- so you are doing some work with um, mm-hmm. doing active user research with people or UX mm-hmm. research with people, but you're also supporting in um, like setting up research practices at their companies as well. Is that correct? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. So that's also another um, thing that I provide to clients, and uh, so far uh, in my in my work as a consultant, I've done kind of a, a good mix of both of those things, um, and it's it, I find it quite. Um, I find it quite a challenge to to think of how best to set up a research practice for a company that I'm, you know, coming into for a, a, a limited period of time. But, uh, you know, once again, it really just goes back to understanding the needs of stakeholders and, um, you know, doing all that discovery research for how to best set up a research practice. It's, it's like inception level of meta right there.
1: Yeah, we definitely feel the same, you know, like starting a business, um, doing a lot of understanding of your your, your customers and, and what you're going to do as a business, you know, a lot of that is UX research. And I always tell people like it's UX research that really, that turned into, you know, the business that I wanted to start and mm. not, not to sort of just give that back away to your company without uh, trying to learn from it yourself, you know, because the insights you gain in your research can move on to a future startup idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And th- and that's why actually UX research is a really great thing to to, you know, to add to your list of skills and and, you know, methods that you're comfortable with just because it can fuel so many conversations and uh, maybe even lead you to starting your own thing, you know, later down the line. It's, it's 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 also actually changed the way that I approach conversations with people, like active listening and, you know, giving them space to be able to talk about their own thing before I jut in with my own opinion. It's um, yeah. UX research, the solution to all of life's problems. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we we want to give you a little active space here. Um, you know, what do you see, what do you see coming in the future or maybe what's exciting about UX research to you like recently or maybe coming up?
0: Yeah, I think about this quite a lot. And and I I guess what's really, um, you know, rather than come up with some kind of like um, answer that's steeped in like automation or robotics or, you know, anything that's like uh, stereotypical in in terms of what we consider to be future thinking, I just really like the future in which UX research is talked about it's considered to be valuable. It's uh, created opportunities within companies for you know people who are studying in various different fields to actually get out in the industry. Um, and I, I guess I'm also really excited when I see um, like true product innovation or like a true user centricity in the way that a product evolves because. Um, you know, uh, I, I use like a, um, a workout app and, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to try and pretend like I use it every week. It's actually uh, been months since I did a workout. So I'm just opening the app up again for the first time in like six months. And I see all of these changes that address some of the frustrations that I had when I was using it last time around. And I, I feel like user research is, is pivotal in making that happen. So, I mean, I'm looking forward forward to a future where that continues to happen and and happens at a greater scale and um yeah i, I, I just looking for for like that kind of abundance in terms of uh, the future when it comes to ux research that's what i'm excited about
2: yeah, I mean, I think I would definitely have to agree. And you know what Jeff was mentioning before, um, you know, I'm I'm newer to the side of UX and even mm. even newer to UX research. Like I did visual communication and branding work, um, but I'm seeing like with what we've been working with and and building at the Fountain of how um, essential it actually has been and 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 helpful and supportive to like what we're doing um, so now mm. you know I, I guess I would be considered a convert now or
1: I think uh, I just fell uh, in love, I think I fell in love with it all over again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you thank you yeah um, so we really appreciate uh, you kind of talking to us today and and telling us about your past and your history um, and where you see what your experiences have been and where you see the future going um, and just wanted to mention uh, that uh, if you wanted to find out more about uh, Basim and what he's doing, he uh, does consulting and mentoring and coaching, um, and you can find out all of this at basim.org, uh, which is B-A-S-I-M dot morg uh, He was lucky to and, and awesome to get that <laughs> that URL, uh, and so yeah, we just want to say thank you so much uh, for coming on with us. Yeah, thank today. you so
1: much, Basim.
0: No, thank you. this was This was really, really fun, and I really enjoyed myself. And uh, we didn't have any technical problems at all, which is a first <laughs> for 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 me in in this kind of setting. So thanks so much. I, I really loved it.
2: That was a really interesting conversation for me. Um, I really uh, didn't expect some of the paths that we kind of went down. Um, wasn't expecting to talk about facilitation and feedback as much, um, but it's really like clear to me now why we did talk about it. It makes sense of why it's like incorporated much more into the um, UX field or the research field.
1: Yeah, I think so many UX designers, they see UX research as a specialization. Um, but I really heard, you know, he's He's a real generalist. And the, the path that he got there was kind of uh, not what I was expecting as well, but it really makes a lot of sense, you know, communication and, and, and presenting. And I really loved what he said about, you know, uh, being a journalist. Uh, I think there's definitely definitely some things to take away from that if you're interested in getting into UX or if you're doing it already. Um, you know, I think anyone can bring more UX research into their practice. I really like the, the future that he laid out for us. Um, I don't know about you, but like, I think UX research has a lot more power to me even even now when I just when I think about what it does. And I know that from my own experience, um, working at the Fountain Institute and doing UX research in order to create our course. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he really shows that there's something really, really impactful about doing good UX research.
2: Yeah, and to someone like me, who's newer to the UX field and newer to the UX research uh, field, um, it, it's actually empowering to me to hear all these things because I feel like I have the power to do them because I have all of these past experiences um, as more of a generalist that like I can apply to them. And so it doesn't feel as intimidating anymore either.
1: Yeah, it really reminds me of this quote by Victor Papanek. Um, He says, the most important thing about design is how it relates to people. And I really think that that is something that that I heard when I was hearing Basim talk about UX research.
2: Um, And we know that a lot of you out here listening designers in the field um, are always curious of like you're wanting to do more research you're wanting to get it more into your practice. Um, You're wanting to convince your managers and the stakeholders at your company that this is something that's worthwhile doing. Um, And so I hope that this podcast uh, helped maybe clarify something gave you some tips of maybe how to do that. and if you are interested in finding out more about how the UX process um, can be integrated more into the double diamond process through discovery, uh, facilitation, and feedback, I would suggest checking out our course on Advanced UX UI for the real world, um, where we go over a lot of these processes.
1: If there's a topic you're interested in that we haven't covered yet or something that you'd like us to talk about, send us an email to hello at the Um, And even if you yourself would like to talk on this podcast, just let us know, drop us a line.
2: I look forward to seeing you guys next time.